Well, humans tend to place greater trust in the things that they can see with their own eyeballs sometimes and things that we can touch with our own hands. And this is one of the reasons why Israel held the Old Covenant with such high regard. God had given them things that they could see and things they could touch. And not only did God initiate His plan to redeem His people through the Old Covenant, but He also provided the people a chance to kind of get their hands dirty, so to speak, and to see the inner workings with their own eyes. Israel was able to participate in the physical process of offering a sacrifice and thereby reckoning its temporary atonement more certain. When the animals were slaughtered, the, the, the external act performed something that they could see. It was visible. It was also something that they could touch. It was tangible. And so they, they were able to see the blood, the life of that innocent animal run out of its body. So the shedding of blood happened most graphically in the earthly tabernacle. However, as we're going to see here, uh, Christ entered a heavenly temple to offer His sacrifice for sin. And in this text, the Holy Spirit is, is determined to teach us something. He wants us to see something. He wants us to know something. He's showing us how Christ's work in that heavenly temple is superior to any work done by Israel's priest in the earthly tabernacle. And so, with that background in mind, let's look at Hebrews 9, verse 1. Hebrews 9, verse 1 says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a gold urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings. Regulations, the body imposed, uh, regulations for the body imposed until the time or time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, 
not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? proposition for you today is that God wants you to know that the eternal acts of worship in the tabernacle foreshadowed the day that Christ would purify the consciences of his people and dwell among them. Notice, I'm going to highlight when we get to the new covenant how it is superior. I want to highlight in particular that what Christ did is he purifies consciences. And then he is able to permanently, eternally then dwell with his people. So we're going to see a contrast today in the Old Covenant and how it is inferior to the New Covenant instituted with Christ. Of course, the entire book of Hebrews is showing us that Christ is superior in every way, but this is specifically going to get into the the two covenants and how Christ has given us, praise God, given us the New Covenant and it is clearly superior. But first of all, we see the contrast here in the Old Covenant, how the Old Covenant is inferior. And you say, well, why is it inferior? How is it inferior? Number one, verse verse one shows us the Old Covenant had an earthly sanctuary. Now this just means it was it was made by mankind and it was pitched by man. And in case you're not familiar with the Old Testament history, how did that happen? Well, Israel was given a lot of a lot of possessions from the Egyptians. They were told to leave Egypt because God brought all these plagues on Egypt, and God sent them out with a lot of wealth, including gold. And so Israel generously brought their gifts to Moses when God told them to build a tabernacle, and it was from all those materials that they got out of Egypt that the tabernacle was constructed. But being an earthly building, it has several weaknesses. Number one, like, like all earthly buildings, it's, it's going to need repair. Things don't stay the same as when they're first made and as they're new. So it would have needed repair, especially they were constantly setting it up, taking it down, moving it through the desert. But it was also limically, uh, it was limited uh, geographically. Because it, it was limited to one spot. They would, they would pitch the tent, and it, it was there until they picked it up and moved it. It couldn't be in another place. And it had to be dismantled, and the various parts carried from place to place. So that was not good. The other thing is it belonged to Israel, and it did not belong to the entire world. So there's at least a couple reasons why we, we can... We can see how the earthly sanctuary, this earthly tabernacle, was, was inferior to the, to the new one. But second of all, the tabernacle was a type of Christ. It wasn't Christ, but appointed to Christ, the one who was greater. And that's the, the, the point that verses 2 through 5 is making. So, 
Verses 2 through 5 don't tell us all the parts of the tabernacle. So I'm just going to quickly introduce you to some of the parts of the tabernacle that aren't mentioned here. Of course, uh, the tabernacle itself had a had a kind of like a fence, if you will, made out of fabric, cloth. It was called the courtyard. You'll see in the, the PowerPoint slide here that the courtyard of the tabernacle was roughly 46 meters long by about 23 meters wide. Now, I've measured this hall that we're in here at the moment, and it is considerably bigger than this hall. So the, the hall's about 18 roughly 18 meters long by about 12 meters wide, so considerably bigger than this hall you're in. And it only had one way in, just a single gate, which was a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ himself who said, I am the way. Jesus also said in John, I am the door. And so there was, because there was only one way into the tabernacle, it was a beautiful picture showing this is, this is how you come to God. There's only one way. There's only one entrance into the tabernacle, and there's only one way to God, which is, of course, through Jesus Christ. Well, as you walk through that single gate of the tabernacle, the first thing you would come to would be the bronze altar. It was there in that outer courtyard. It was made of acacia wood, but it was covered with bronze. It wasn't a huge thing. We're only talking about two square meters, roughly uh, one meter off the ground, and they put a bronze gate on it, or grate, I should say, and then they would put the, the coals underneath that grate, and then the sacrifice then would be put on top of the grate. And then on the four corners of the altar were horns to which an animal would be tied and, and bound when it was being sacrificed. The bronze altar, of course, is another picture of Jesus Christ, who himself was a sacrifice for sin. And then right behind the bronze altar, you come to what was called the laver or the basin. That was the next piece of, of furniture in the courtyard, the outer courtyard. It was made of bronze. And in it, the priests would, would go there to wash their hands and even sometimes their feet as they were going about their sacrificing of animals. You can imagine very nasty, dirty business. They would get a lot of blood on their hands and even on their feet. So here's a, a picture of Jesus Christ as the cleanser of his people. And once we receive forgiveness of our sins through Christ's sacrifice, we still need His daily cleansing that is able to restore us to fellowship and, and joy in the Lord. Well, if you were to walk past that laver or basin, then you would come to what was, what was called the tent, uh, as we see in our text here. Uh, verse 2 is just called the tent. Some call it the tabernacle proper. Well, it was not a very big tent uh, in the scheme of things. Uh, it was only uh, 14 meters long by 5 meters wide and about the size of the height of this uh, the ceiling at the, the highest point here, roughly, roughly 5 meters tall. And in there you had the, the holy place that took up most of the area, about two-thirds of the area was called the holy place, and then the other one-third of it was called the most holy place. And you'll see in, the, in this cutaway diagram of 
the tent, you have most of it being the holy place and the smaller part being the most holy place. If you go inside the tent or the tabernacle proper here, for uh, well, there's a few things you'd see in there, not a whole lot of things, but one of the things would be the lampstand. And uh, here's where our text starts mentioning some of the pieces of furniture. For example, in verse 2, it says that first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. So the lampstand was made of solid gold. It had uh, seven branches coming off it, as you can see there. Uh, and then they would put uh, pure olive oil in there to burn. It's the only source of light that I'm aware of that Scripture talks about there inside the tent. The uh, second piece of furniture, which would be opposite the lampstand, was the table of showbread. Or as uh, my Bible here says, calling it the, the table and the bread of the presence. Again, it was made of acacia wood, overlaid with gold. It's only about a, a meter long and a half meter wide and about 70 meters high, or sorry, 70 centimeters, ooh, 70 centimeters high. And every Sabbath, there would be 12 loaves of fresh bread that would be put on that table. You say, well, why 12? Well, it's because there was one loaf of bread for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And at the end of the week, the priest and only the priest were allowed to eat those loaves of bread. And then right in front of the veil, that second curtain, if you will, was the altar of incense. So if you were to walk all the way up to that veil, you'd find this little altar of incense, again, made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. It was only about uh, 45 centimeters square and about uh, one meter high. On this altar were placed the burning coals from the that, that came from the outer courtyard on that bronze altar, from, from the sacrifices made there on the bronze altar in the outer courtyard. You say, well, what's the point of those three pieces of furniture? You say it points to Christ. Yes, it does. These three pieces of furniture... Picture Christ in various ways. Everything in the, we'll back up to the outer courtyard first. Everything in that outer courtyard was connected with salvation and the cleansing of sins. Of course, Jesus accomplished his sacrificial work on earth. He did that outside God's heavenly presence. The outer courtyard was accessible to all the people of Israel just as Christ is accessible to all who come to Him. But in His heavenly sanctuary, Christ is shut off from the world, temporarily. And from His heavenly place now we see Jesus lights our path, just as the golden lampstand does. And Jesus feeds us, just as the table of showbread pictures. And Jesus, Hebrews tells us, is interceding for us as is pictured there in the altar of incense. So what do we see in Jesus? That Jesus is the light of the world that directs our paths. Jesus is the one who through the Holy Spirit illuminates our minds and it helps us to understand spiritual truth. He's the one who by the indwelling Spirit guides us through a dark world. So He is our light. Christ is our 
sustenance. He's our table of sacred bread. He is the one who feeds us every day and who sustains us with the Word of God. And the altar of incense pictures Jesus interceding for us. He's praying for us because He is the perfect sacrifice. Because He's the perfect sacrifice, He was able to become the perfect intercessor. So those are some of the things that verses 2 through 5 talk about here about about the various furniture. But that's not it. There was a very special room called the Most Holy Place. Most Holy Place. Very special place. You'll see it mentioned in verse 3, that second section called the Most Holy Place. Well, what was in there? Well, we see behind that second veil there was a tiny room into which only the high priest could enter, and he only did this one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And in this holiest of earthly places, there was only one piece of furniture. You hear it, it's on the screen here for you. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark, as you, as we see in verse uh, 4, there were three things inside the Ark of the Covenant. You had that manna, that, uh, that form of food that God provided Israel during their wilderness wanderings. The Bible says in verse 4, there was also Aaron's rod that budded. And then there was the stone tablets on which God himself wrote the Ten Commandments. Now the ark was also made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. It wasn't a, it wasn't a huge box. It was only just a little, not much bigger than the table that's before me here. It was about one meter long by about 80 centimeters wide and only 60 centimeters high. On the lid was a mercy seat. On that mercy seat were two cherubim. Cherubim are just angels. They're angelic figures. They too were also made of solid gold. And it was between the wings of those angels that God met men. In fact, uh, you can read about all about the tabernacle. There's about 50 chapters if you're interested in reading it. In, uh, particularly in the books of Exodus and Leviticus. And there's one verse in the book of Exodus that says this. God says, there I will meet with you. He was talking about there on that mercy seat. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. So, if God was to... Meet man, that was the, the place he was going to do it. Now during Old Testament times, or the time of Jesus, only one person could ever enter in to the most holy place, sometimes called the Holy of Holies. And, and then only on an extremely limited basis. For all practical purposes, men had no access to God at all. The regular priest uh, the, the Levites, they couldn't get in there. They couldn't get nearer than the outer sanctuary. And just ordinary people like you and me couldn't even come any closer than the outer court. That's as far as they could go. So the only thing in that the most holy place was the ark, which of course represents Jesus Christ because he is the true mercy seat. And so when we meet Jesus Christ as Savior, we are ushered into the very presence 
of God. God no longer communes with men between the wings of angels on a mercy seat. Things have changed under the new covenant. God communes with men through His Son, Jesus Christ. You're able to pray even 24-7 because you have a high priest who intercedes for you. See, Jesus is the mercy seat for you. And only on the basis of the blood of a goat would God have fellowship with Israel. And it's only on the basis of the blood of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, that you and I have fellowship with God. You say, okay, that's one reason. A couple reasons, in fact, why the Old Covenant is inferior. Let's move on to number three. Number three. The Old, the old Covenant was inferior because the tabernacle was inaccessible to the people. It was inaccessible to the people. Look what verse 6 says. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into that first section of the tent, that is, performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So, don't as you, as you read this, I hope... Uh, you're not getting the idea that Israel assembled in the tabernacle for worship. They weren't allowed to do that. Israelites weren't allowed into the tent. They could go to the bronze altar in that outer courtyard, and that was it. Only the priests were permitted into the tabernacle. And it was purposely showing this, this gulf, this distance, this separation between God and His people. They required a mediator, a go-between, a, a priest. Only the high priest was able to go into the most holy place, and he was only allowed in there on the Day of Atonement. So it was inaccessible to the people, and for that reason it made it inferior. Number four, the fourth reason it was inferior is because the Old Covenant provided limited cleansing. Limited cleansing. As verse 8 shows us, it was by the, this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. So while that tabernacle still stood, there was no way into God's presence. You had no hope, no access to God. The people could not even get into the holy place, the first section of the tent, much less into the most holy place. The whole thing was meant to prove that without a Savior, there is no access to God. They needed a high priest. The Holy Spirit was teaching the impossibility of access to God without a perfect priest. Not only did they need a perfect priest, but they needed a perfect sacrifice, and they needed a perfect covenant. Of course, they didn't have any of those three things under the Old Covenant. They didn't have the perfect priest, they didn't have the perfect sacrifice, they didn't have the perfect covenant. But then comes Jesus, and in Jesus, He provides all three of them, the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice, and He brings in the perfect covenant. So by allowing the people to go no further than that outer court, 
He was illustrating that through their religion of Judaism, there was no access to God. It, it was just a symbol. It was just a veneer, a show of what access they could have. So when Jesus died, buried, and rose again, eventually ascended into heaven, He provided believers access into God's presence. And that's the source of full acceptance to God, and it was provided because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, became the perfect priest, and provided the perfect covenant. Jesus alone can take us into God's presence in heaven. The only way. So the way into the heavenly holy place couldn't be opened here, as it says, while the first tabernacle was still standing. It needed to be done away with to bring in the new covenant. Number five, the fifth reason the old covenant was inferior is because it provided imperfect cleansing. It was imperfect cleansing, as verse 9 tells us. Notice that it mentions symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Just imperfect cleansing. They had a lot of ceremonies, a lot of rituals, but perfect cleansing from sin could not be accomplished under the old system. It's interesting the word symbol there refers to setting side by side for the purpose of comparison. What's going on here? Well, the old is being set beside the new so they can be compared to each other. So all of these Hebrews could could compare them and see, whoa, I want Jesus because He is far superior to anything that I've been used to. I shouldn't be tempted to go back to the old covenant and the old system and that old way of worship because Jesus has brought in the better, the best, the superior. The old sacrifices were never meant to cleanse from sin. As Hebrews says, you you can't be cleansed of your sin by the blood of bulls and goats. It's impossible. Never meant to cleanse you from sin. You say, well, then why did God command them to do this? Because it was a symbol of, of the perfect Lamb of God who, pointing to Him, the one who would come and bring real cleansing. See, the conscience of the person sacrificing was never freed from their guilty conscience, this, this feeling of guilt, because you say, well, why? Why? Because the guilt was never removed. Because the guilt was never removed, they continued to feel guilty. The cleansing was just something that was entirely external. And consequently, consequently, he could never have a clear conscience, and he could never have a lasting sense of forgiveness. And so he had to keep coming to the tabernacle, keep coming to the temple, bringing more and more sacrifices. So it was an imperfect cleansing. Number six, the Old Covenant provided temporary cleansing. It was just temporary. Verse 10 tells us, but these deals only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So it was just temporary cleansing. You say, why? Notice it it says there, verse 10, it related only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until this time of reformation. This is not talking about the time of church history reformation back in the 1500s and 1600s. Now, this 
this was uh, talking about a system that was that was going to end. And by the way, the system was never intended to last forever. It was not intended to even last through human history. It, it wasn't even started at the beginning of creation. God instituted this in the book of Exodus a couple thousand years after creation. And it didn't. Even, it hasn't even lasted till now. In fact, uh, it was done away with some 2,000 years ago. And so as of now, it's been nearly, what, 2,000 years since the last sacrifice was made in the temple? God did away with it. He used the Romans back in 70 A.D. to destroy the temple with it its sacrificial system. So you say, well, when is this time of Reformation that the Bible's talking about? Well, that word Reformation there just means to correct, to straighten out, to make right, to reform. When's this time of reform going to happen? You say, well, well, only the new covenant in Christ was able to make things right, to to able to 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 reform, to straighten you out. And so the old forms were meant to serve only until this time. The old covenant was never capable of setting things right between men and God, and its purpose was only to symbolize the setting of things right until the effect of sacrifice was made. And that's exactly why the, temp, the, the veil in the temple ripped in two, showing Christ was that effective, permanent uh, sacrifice. He was the sacrifice that reformed us from the inside. It wasn't just something that was done on the outside. So the Old Covenant pointed to Christ, but it couldn't do the work of Christ. It was ineffective in that way. And so we want to praise God together as we look at Christ as seen here in the New Covenant. Why is the New Covenant superior to the Old Covenant? Number one, Christ ministers in the perfect sanctuary. This is not an earthly sanctuary, as verse 11 tells us. It says, when Christ appears, a high priest of the good things that have come, we see that then, through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So in direct contrast, in comparison to the earthly tent, the earthly tabernacle, Christ ministers in the perfect tent, the perfect sanctuary, the perfect tabernacle. And this sanctuary, as it says, is not made by people. It's not on earth, and it's not made with earthly materials. It's made by God, it's in heaven, and it's of heavenly materials. Praise God for that, because unlike the tabernacle, it's never in need of repair, and it's for the whole world. All who come to Christ in faith will get to have this blessing. So, How does Christ minister in His heavenly sanctuary, you might ask? Well, we see here in verse 12 that Christ provides unlimited access. It is unlimited access. Look at verse 12. He, Christ, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, securing an eternal 
redemption. Praise God. Now, how did he do this? How did he provide unlimited access? Let me just point out a few things from verse 12. Number one, Jesus does this with his own blood. His service comes here in his own blood. Now, that's vastly different from Israel's priests. They didn't shed their own blood. They would bring the blood of bulls and goats and calves. No, Jesus comes not offering a sacrificial animal, but he is the sacrificer as well as the sacrifice. The second way he provides unlimited access is he made his sacrifice only once. And that once was sufficient for all people of all times. It is that powerful. It is sufficient. And it was done once. It wasn't needed to be done over and over and over. And that's why systems that continually sacrifice through through the Mass, for example, are blasphemous to God. Blasphemous to Jesus Christ, the one who made a one-time sacrifice. He doesn't need to do it over and over and over again. And so in the process, he provided unlimited access. How did he do that? Well, he obtained permanent salvation and eternal redemption, verse 12 says. So when Christ died and was buried and rose again, he cleansed. And it was a permanent cleansing. It was, And he cleansed you of your sins, past, present, and future. All those sins were dealt with as Christ was hanging on the cross, and it was a one-time act of redemption, never to to be repeated again. And so He provides unlimited access. Number three, Christ provides unlimited forgiveness. It's the very thing that everybody wants. Everybody's grasping for. They want a guilt-free conscience, and they can't get it by any other means. Because look what verse 13 says. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The comparison is just utterly ridiculous here, isn't it? The old system, the old covenant, couldn't do what Christ did. could not provide unlimited forgiveness. It just covered, never dealt with the sin, never dealt with the guilt. But Christ comes and He actually frees our consciences from our guilt. And in contrast, Israel's police cleaned up the outside. And even that was just symbolic. It was imperfect. It was only temporary. But Christ cleanses the inside, where, of course, your real problem is. Everybody's real problem is on the inside, isn't it? That's where it lies. Your sin is inside you. And He does more than just cleanse your old nature. See, Christ comes and He doesn't just do a simple remodel. It's a total takedown and rebuild. It's totally new. You are given a new nature. He cleanses our conscience. He recreates our very person. And in Christ, we are cleaned 
we are, sorry, we're not just a cleaned up old creature, but you're a new creature. In fact, that's what the Bible says in several places. For example, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So please understand, my friends, this is a totally new creation. Not a remodel. Not slap a little bit of paint on, and you're basically the same thing. No, my friends, the the contrast here cannot be clearer. See, when the Old Covenant existed, it was instituted back in Exodus for the Israelites, it was something that was to show Israel that the greater was to come, the superior was coming. It was to point to Christ. And while that Old Covenant required incessant and imperfect offerings that could not purify any human being's heart, Christ accomplished what was final. He accomplished what was a full purification, a total cleansing. So my friends, the only proper response here is to see that Christ is the hope of the new covenant. Christ is your only hope. He is the hope of all people under the new covenant. So the exhortation is for you to put your hope in Christ and in Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the new covenant instituted in Christ. We're thankful that it is superior to the old. We're thankful for these inferior things that we've seen that that point to Christ. They're very helpful pictures. We like to be able to see. We like to be able to touch things. Thank you for that that grace. But we praise you for the greater the best for the superior new covenant in Christ. And may we not just take the gift and and worship the gift and forget about the giver. May we not lose sight of you in the midst of all of this. We are very, very thankful for forgiveness of sins, total and final, full forgiveness of sins, a clear conscience, We're thankful that you give that. Only you're able to do that. May we believe it. May we live it. May we run to Christ, continually come to Him to find that full, total, permanent forgiveness, cleansing, and purification of sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.